Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben from the Lean Blog. This is episode number 30 of the Lean Blog Podcast for August 12th, 2007. Our guest today is Bob Emiliani of the Center for Lean Business Management and also the author of the book, Better Thinking, Better Results, which is now out in a second revised edition that includes a new epilogue about Wiremold, the subject of the book, and how they've moved away from lean after their acquisition by another company. In this podcast, Bob and I will talk about why that happened and what others can learn from the Wiremold story and efforts to prevent the dismantling of even the most successful of lean transformations in other companies. You can visit his website at www.theclbm.com. You can also visit the page for this podcast at leanpodcast.org for links to Bob and his books, including the Real Lean series, Volumes 1 and 2. Well, joining us from Connecticut today is Bob Emiliani. Thank you for joining us on the Lean Blog Podcast. It's my pleasure. So I wanted to talk about why you updated the wire mold story, uh, what was behind you know, producing a second edition of the book, Better Thinking, Better Results. Well, um, I did it because people wanted to know what happened to wire mold's lean effort since they were uh, bought by Legrand in 2000. Uh, people also wanted to know what happened after Art Byrne and the other top managers started to retire in 2002. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they wanted to know, did lean stick? Uh. Uh, in the first edition of the book, I wrote that I was uh, skeptical that lean management would continue at Wiremold under new ownership and with a new leadership team, uh, you know, in which the Legrand personnel would eventually hold key positions. Okay. So I, I wrote that Legrand management uh, did not buy Wiremold because it was lean. They did not have any uh, uh, real interest in Wiremold's lean capabilities or the management's, management team's uh, skills as lean practitioners. Mm-hmm. So uh, Legrand, like most manufacturers, has long operated their business according to batch and queue principles and practices, and, um, and therefore, you know, it was just unrealistic, unrealistic to expect uh, Legrand senior management to recognize uh, the value of Wiremold's mm-hmm. lean management system. Mm-hmm. Um, I also said in the first edition that it would be very interesting to see how Wiremold fares uh, in the years to come under a parent company whose management practices are rooted in, in wasteful batch and queue. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, the question was, will wire mold managers be able to keep uh, the lean management system alive or, or will, will it succumb to the you know, strong force of conventional management practices? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it turns out that Legrand's conventional batch and queue management practices prevailed. How and why this happened is something that all lean practitioners should know about because there's so much to learn from it. Yeah, you know, that's uh, it's unfortunate, um, and I, I'd agree it's something to learn from after you know, reading the, the, the epilogue to the book. Um, and so what, what happened? What's the, the story behind it? First of all, uh, I'd like to say that I, I think it's extremely important to be consistent and apply a lean mindset to these types of situations where, where uh, lean has failed, mm-hmm. uh, just as we would do to any problem. So we start by seeing things, you know, as they actually are, you know, even if it's ugly, right. and even if it's not what we want to see. And when we confront the reality, and then we can identify identify ways to improve. Um, 
something that's that troubled me for a while is that too often, you know, a company's lean efforts are characterized as problem-free. Basically, people just talk about the good stuff and, and yeah. tend to present a much better picture than what actually exists. And uh, it's just not reality. There are uh, a lot of problems, and, and, and we need each of these problems to surface in order to understand the root causes and identify and implement practical countermeasures. Um, so, uh, yeah, many people see what happened to wire mold as the bad thing, and, and in many respects mm-hmm. it is. But it, it's also a very valuable story from, from which we can all learn from to help other people's lean transformation efforts. Um, I, I firmly believe that bringing this story to light is fully consistent with the lean principles, continuous improvement, and respect for people. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, wire mold backslid rather dramatically within three years after Art Byrne retired. Uh, Wiremold had a very strong management uh, bench, uh, two to three layers deep uh, to backfill Art and the other senior managers who retired or, or might leave. Um, but each each member of Art's management team had great difficulty uh, getting Legrand senior management to understand Lean. They all struggled, and so they eventually left. And of course, when that happened, Legrand inserted their their personnel into key leadership positions. And they knew little or nothing about the lean management system. Right. So they they didn't support uh, lean in any significant way, and they did not participate in process improvement activities. And and in in a lot of instances, they purposefully dismantled mm-hmm. what Art and his team had done. Um, you know, this isn't un- it's not uncommon. Changes in company ownership or top leadership are a huge discontinuity that is almost always fatal to lean. Yeah. And, and history bears this out all the way back to the days of the scientific management system in the late 1800s. When uh, company owners or top leaders change, the, the management system quickly reverts back to the old ways of leading and managing the business. And I thought the same thing might happen at, at Wiremold, and it did. Um, I think it's important to understand what happened at Wiremold illustrates how, how wrong-headed the thinking is that if people practice lean for several years, it will stick. Yeah. That, are, that it will become part of the company's DNA. And, uh, you know, guess what? It doesn't stick. And executives and others need to confront that reality. Uh, lean requires constant attention, maintenance, and improvement to keep it alive and healthy. It's, it's, right. people, that right. keep, you know, it's people that keep lean alive through the daily practice of lean principles, processes, and tools. Mm-hmm. And when the top leaders who have an interest in keeping Lean alive uh, leave the company and, and are replaced by leaders who don't have the same interest, then uh, uh, Lean dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you can imagine, yeah. it was personally very painful for Wiremold people to go backwards. You know, they fought very hard, but uh, in the end, you know, what choice do you have? You, yeah. you either do what the boss <laughs> wants or you leave. Yeah. So why do you think it was that Legrand didn't value the, the Lean transformation that Art and you know, his team of and all the people at Wiremold had gone through those previous years. Well, Legrand senior managers didn't, you know, learn like most senior managers. They didn't learn lean in college or graduate mm-hmm. school. They didn't, they didn't get exposed to it on the job, so it just really wasn't relevant. And and those at the top apparently had little or no curiosity to learn about lean management. Uh, Art and his management team did not expect that to be the case, mm-hmm. um, especially since Wiremold had done so well with lean. Um, early on, there were uh, good indications that Legrand senior management did want to learn about lean. After all, who wouldn't want to ad- adopt a, a winning management system? <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but apparently, they didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. 
So, you know, Legrand senior management is, is, is not at all unique in this respect. They're, they're just like uh, most other top managers. Yeah. So it sounds like, like unfortunately, Legrand made some mistakes um, along the way, or at least we might view it that way as, as proponents of lean. So I was wondering if you could, you know, maybe, you know, talk about how, what you view some of those mistakes to be, or, you know, you talked about dismantling some of the lean practices. Maybe if you can share an example or two of, you know, how and why that was done. Okay. Well, from from a lean perspective, yes, they clearly did make some mistakes, and in fact, they made some very big mistakes. Um, among other things, you know, abandoning the respect for people principle and blaming people for errors, mm-hmm. going from sixteen or eighteen of in- inventory turns back to three or four inventory turns, you know, cost a lot of money, which of course impacts shareholders and uh, negatively impacts customers. Uh, the collaborative relationship with suppliers gave way to arm's length, uh, zero-sum power-based bargaining relationships that emphasized price. And mm-hmm. as you might imagine, there were plant closings and outsourcing to lower-wage countries, mm-hmm. basically okay. the usual stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, now, it's very important for people to clearly understand that Legrand is, is not a bad company and its leaders are not bad people. You know, the, the actions that Legrand executives took after they bought Wiremold were sensible from their point of view. Mm-hmm. They did what they were trained to do, and they did it very well. They, they, they did what they thought was best for Legrand and its shareholders. Uh, it's, it, it's just that what they did happens to be the exact opposite of what lean people would have done. Yeah. Um, this outcome, you know, uh, it, it highlights a significant problem inherent to lean management and its antecedents dating back to the late 1800s and early 1900s scientific management area, which few, very few people seem to appreciate, and I'd, I'd like to bring more attention to this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. That is, managers uh, who do not understand what waste is and the benefits of process improvements miss great opportunities may even inadvertently end up hurting the business. Uh, It's a common problem. Uh, It has a name. It's the merger and acquisition culture clash. It's nothing new. People are repeating uh, the same errors. Sure. Um, Yeah, it certainly sounds like they were kind of going off of the mass production playbook. Uh, Yep. Well, so, you know, kind of identifying what happened and, you know, the, the situation, as you said, whether it was ugly or not. What do you think the rest of us um, can learn or, or should learn from what happened at Wiremold? Well, the, uh, one of the lessons learned is that we should prepare for high probability events such as changes in company ownership or changes in top leadership. You know, we know for certain that this will happen at some time in the future, so lean leaders need to plan for that. Uh, Art and his team uh, did plan for these changes. Uh, in fact, they put a whole lot of effort into that. Yeah. But in hindsight, it still wasn't enough. Um, leaders should, uh, lean leaders should install countermeasures to prevent outcomes they wish to avoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk uh, about this uh, in a chapter in, in uh, my new book um, called Real Lean Volume 2. It's uh, called Lean Estate Planning. It's uh, similar to, you know, how we might personally plan for our own estates when, when our day comes. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, a, a new idea that I think people need to pay some attention to uh, to prevent these kind of things from happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, another lesson learned is that uh, you know lean doesn't stick by itself even after ten or twenty years of effort. If new executives one day come into the company with other interests, mm-hmm. um, you know just look at Toyota. Their their executives have long 
been worried about complacency mm-hmm. even after seven decades of practicing their management system. Yeah. They know, you know it, that they can slip away quickly and, and that they have to remain uh, forever, you know, forever vigilant mm-hmm. and, and ensure that uh, the top leaders understand, the people who are promoted to the top, that they understand and practice the management system. And, and, and further, that they continue to learn the management system no longer, no, no matter how long uh, they work at Toyota. Sure. Um, you know, I'll say it again. I mean, lean requires constant attention, maintenance, and improvement to keep it alive and healthy. It's, it's people that keep lean alive through the daily practice of, uh, of, of lean principles, processes, and tools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the top leaders who have that, the interest in keeping lean alive leave and are replaced by leaders who don't have the same interest, then lean dies uh, very quickly. Um, the, you know, the long view of history shows this happening over and over again. And in order for it not to happen, we need to be aware of what has happened in the past. And this has been my main interest in the past few years and is, is the principal subject of the, the book I mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. And basically, you know, for for a lousy ten bucks, you can learn uh, how to avoid a lot of traps and errors. And I, I think people will be utterly amazed the extent to which the lean movement today is is faithfully reliving the past, and and runs a very high risk of realizing the, the same marginal or unfavorable outcomes as what people uh, have achieved in the past. Sure. Um, you know, the good news is there's there's a lot of practical countermeasures that can be applied, but. Mm-hmm. Basically, only if we want to confront, you know, see that reality, confront it uh, head on, and take action. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that story. Not only you know in the new edition of the book, um, which which I've had a chance to see and you know, was familiar with the story from reading you know the the original edition a couple years back. Um, uh, if if listeners want to go to uh, website uh, leanpodcast.org, I'll, I'll make sure that there's links. Uh, to Bob's website and, uh, and, and both of those, you know, the, both the second edition of Better Thinking, Better Results and the, the two volumes of uh, the other book he mentioned, Real Lean, you know, to make sure people can find that. Uh, I, I was wondering if you could share some thoughts, maybe, you know, what, what, what kind of reactions that, that you've gotten from, from the updated story, um, you know, the, the new second edition and, and what's been happening in the wire mold. Well, the reaction has been favorable in the sense that people are, you know, getting some insight into what can happen, how lean can backslide, how things can unravel despite a tremendous, uh, you know, long-term effort. Yeah. And that helps them uh, plan for the future better. Yeah. Uh, it makes them more aware of, uh, of, of, of pitfalls and problems. Um, what, you know, one thing people absolutely dislike is for their good efforts to just fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. And in, in going through the history of this earlier management system called scientific management, you read these, the leaders of that uh, movement were um, very dismayed that their hard efforts um, uh, eventually just uh, didn't amount to much. And, uh, and nobody likes to see that happen to their, to oh, their effort. Oh, of course. Uh, so this is starting to give an insight into, you know, the ways in which things can unravel and that, that we need to be aware of that and, and, and bring it more to the, to the front, front and center and, and uh, directly address it. Um, you know, there's a lot of good news, news stories about uh, companies doing lean and, and that's great and so forth, but we don't, uh, 
we don't spend enough time looking at the failures and understanding what what's going on there. Yeah. And and there's just a tremendous amount to be learned from that. And if we really expect this uh, to move forward, then we we have to uh, get into understanding the uh, the failures or, mm-hmm. or where 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 the outcomes were uh, much less than expected. Yeah, I, I I think that's a healthy thing. I mean, you know, one of the the books on my shelf is. Uh, you know, this book, uh, you know, how to prevent lean implementation failures by, you know, a different author who, you know, kind of highlights mm-hmm. here are some of the things that, that can go wrong. And, and I think it's helpful to, you know, I guess the same way you might, um, you know, use failure mode effects analysis to, to look at a physical process, maybe to anticipate, you know, what are the things that could go wrong with our management system? What's the risk? What would the impact be? That's right. And, and that, you know, to, to go through formal failure analysis, is not something that is uh, normally found in the business world. And, and for example, in uh, business schools, uh, they rely extensively on the case study method, and the, the vast majority of, of case studies, uh, you know, report something positive. Right. And it, it's not so familiar to <laughs> look at something negative, and it's very unfamiliar in a business school setting to uh, apply formal root cause analysis to the errors that occurred. Sure. Uh, and and uh, we need to start uh, doing that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, if we're, we're talking through maybe to the, um, looking at at least root cause or root causes of, of what happened with wire mold, you, you know, strongly hinted at one of those root causes maybe being, um, the educational system, uh, you know, uh, business school in particular. So are there efforts underway or, or what thoughts do you have about, you know, how can we try, um, to, to make sure lean ideas are um, are starting to get taught in business schools, or that you know, if, if lean practices are good business, which I, I assume a lot of us um, listening, you know, through, through self selection, you know, that, that we're lean people listening to a lean podcast would believe lean is good for business. You know, what, what can we do to influence it so it seems less like you know a foreign program or you know um, a, you know a, an alternative approach to business and, and try to get it taught as you know. Um, Maybe a, a more, you know, how, how can we turn it into a more conventional yeah. way of well, doing that's, business? That's a good question. Um, there is the Lean Enterprise Institute has sponsored something called TeachingLean.org that is trying to, uh, you know, establish a, um, a group of people that are interested in bringing Lean into the classroom. And then uh, uh, MIT's uh, Lean Aerospace Initiative has an effort uh, as well. There was a joint meeting of these two groups last uh, October. Uh, to discuss ways to bring lean into the classroom. But what ends up happening is it's on an individual professor-by-professor basis. It's really not engaging <laughs> the deans or the provosts of, of business or, or engineering schools yeah. to establish lean management as a major uh, pedagogical approach to uh, um, uh, management and leadership and so forth in those in those settings. So it sounds like the same... You know, company trap. If if the leadership leaves, or in this case, if the professor moves on, someone else comes in, and suddenly, well, yep. you're not teaching lean anymore. That's basically the same thing. Yes, mm. you're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, hopefully, we'll we'll make progress in in that area over the you know coming years and and decades. Um, do, you, do you have any final thoughts um, that you'd want to leave with the podcast listeners here? Well, I guess I just want to re- uh, reemphasize the point that um, that I, I think is very important is that looking back in the history of people trying to advocate uh, a different system of management than the conventional batch and queue approach, uh, you know, it shows these kinds of uh, failures and so forth 
uh, happening over and over again. And, and I'm really trying to bring an awareness of what happened in the past uh, so that people can gain an appreciation for how faithfully you know, we're reliving that past. And uh, uh, you know, things are different today, to be sure, in, in a lot of ways. But there still is, a, in my view, a significant uh, risk of having marginal or, or unfavorable outcomes occur. Um, mm-hmm. And just by awareness of this, that will help us or engage us into some root cause analysis and identifying countermeasures. And mm-hmm. that should be uh, a very different activity and effort than what has happened in the past. In the old days, the people didn't do formal root cause analysis. They just, you know, they attributed the problems to various things through reasoning. And, and you know, maybe they did a five whys in their head, but they didn't really lay it out on paper. And or, or, not a, yeah, or the five who's. <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, that's that right. That's right. There was a bit of uh, uh, blame, and um, particularly towards senior management. Yeah. Um, but you know, if we can engage that process and get a better understanding of what's going on, then I think that uh, serves uh, every everyone very well. All the stakeholders, mm-hmm. you know, customers, suppliers, investors, employees, communities, etc. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll make sure again that there are you know links to you and your website and and the books. I really did enjoy uh, volume one of uh, the Real Lean series, and looking forward to um, going through volume two. Hopefully, we can get together again sometime and 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 talk about some of the topics there that are uh, in those two books. Okay. Great. Okay. Well, Bob, uh, thanks again for being here on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope it's been uh, helpful for the listeners. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.